Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Believe in Florida Gators. Uh, you're home for all things Florida Gators football, basketball, recruiting, and today even a little bit of soccer. Uh, I'm your host, Zach Goodall, the publisher of allgators.com at Sports Illustrated, uh, as well as you know the host here at Believe in Florida Gators. I'm joined by Demetrius Harvey, my co-host and uh, deputy editor over at All Gators. Demetrius, say what's up to the people. What's up, everyone? I hope you're having a good draft week. I know that not everybody follows it in college football, but it's still a fun time for all all things football. So hope you're having a good week and hope you enjoy listening to us. Yeah, we got a lot of talk about, including the draft. Uh, as I mentioned, some soccer stuff uh, right before we started recording this, there was some breaking news uh, in the Gators realm of athletics that Florida has relieved its soccer coach. We'll get into a lot more about that, as well as the transfer portal, some moves uh, players leaving Florida's roster, some players committing elsewhere when Florida was uh, in the running, and, and where they could go next. But first, we want to give a shout out to uh, our partner at betonline.ag. They continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, the NFL draft, and even next season's futures. And don't forget, the MLB is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? BetOnline is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so go ahead and uh, go on the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's free money right there, guys. I would go ahead and take it. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's get this podcast rolling. Let's get this podcast started. Uh, we've got, we've got, like I said, some news, um, with Florida soccer. Uh, they have relieved coach Tony Amato after one season with the team. It, it definitely was a fall from grace, uh, compared to where Florida soccer has been in the past and traditionally. Um, but with this firing, you know, it, it is one year in, you'd figure that a guy would get some more time to, you know, develop the program the way he wants to, but apparently behind the scenes, there was just, Another toxic culture, which has become a bit of a pattern at Florida's women's sports, uh, as seen in the past year by hires made by athletic director Scott Strickland. Uh, I believe that anyone that reads our work knows very well about the Cam Newbauer situation last year with women's basketball. Uh, we reported on that uh, pretty thoroughly. Uh, the results are what they are. Uh, this time around, it was a little bit different. Amato comes in a year ago, and they don't have a great season, but also four players have quit. 13 have entered the transfer portal since he was hired in May 2021. That's roughly, I think it was 30% of the team in terms of leaving for the portal, uh, including six that entered during the season. Uh, this was all reported by Peyton Titus, um, who has broken a lot of stories around here at Florida. Uh, she's spoken to some players, former and current, um, anonymous, obviously, so they wouldn't face any potential repercussions. They were supposed to have, I guess, some interviews with Scott Strickland and Coach Amato this week. In fact, I believe one of them was scheduled for the day 
that the story broke. Florida announced it probably, in, I think it was an hour before this interview was supposed to happen, um, where Strickland was supposed to address, as well as Amato was supposed to address allegations of, uh, of again, a toxic culture, um, especially coming to, I believe it was eating disorders and, um, yeah. and inappropriate comments about you know, players' weights and their nutrition and stuff like that. Um, there are some more details to get into it, um, which I can share as we go along. But Demetrius, I want to throw it over to you. What are your early impressions of this firing? Um, this is the third coach that Strickland hired that he has since fired since coming to Florida in 2016. Um, and the second one in a year that has had some, some serious culture problems going on underneath them. Yeah. Just setting aside the fact that, you know, Scott Strickland obviously has had to fire a few coaches that he's brought in himself. Um, just awful. I mean, from what I've read in the story, um, to, to everything that we've been reading now on social media and just all the perspectives, it, it just seems like another toxic culture that all these women had to go through. Um, obviously different than Newbauer in, in some ways, but similar in, in terms of, you know, uh, just a, abuse in terms of the the words that were said and um, things things to, to make players not feel welcome or wanted or valued whatsoever. I mean, there was at one point, you know, the, in, in, in the story that Peyton wrote, they said, you know, players told them or he was he told players that they couldn't play if they ate ice cream. I mean, things like that. Uh, uh, one of the women were eating Pop-Tarts or she brought a box of Pop-Tarts and he looked at her with a disgusted face, which was described by by the player. What are those? You know, just like little things like that can have a huge impact on especially females in, you know, sports in athletics to um, have all of those things thrown on you, the eating disorders that they've, you know, gained and, 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 and now they're, they're going to have to go through their life with, you know, some mental anguish. And now it, it, it just all sucks. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a thing that had to happen. Uh, I think that the best thing that Strickland did in, in this situation, which was not the case with Newbauer, was you know getting on this fast. I think that he did a good job at um, attacking this and making sure that this was not going to go on any longer. They had their worst season in, in quite some time. I think they only had four wins this year. And besides the wins, I mean, you can see why maybe they weren't successful. Uh, and and even even if they didn't have the just the four wins, maybe they had a successful season. This was something that needed to happen. Um, and I think it's great that he actually chose to, you know, be more assertive and, and take more actionable um, things nowadays and instead of going back to what they did with Newbauer, which is sort of sit on it and wait. And then once everything came out, then make the decision or once things were about to come out, then make the decision. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, in, in total, this is terrible. And, and I'm glad that they were able to come to that agreement and, and just part ways because um, it's something that cannot go on in any sport, you know, male or female, but um, especially in, in, in women's sports when we've seen uh, everything that's happened to women over the past few years. Yeah, I certainly agree. I mean, I think people that read my work, again, understand that I've been a critic of Scott Strickland for how Cam Neubauer's situation went. I wouldn't even see, say that they sat on it. I, I I personally would say that Florida went out of their way to cover that story up. They gave him an extension despite several years of allegations from parents and players alike, you know, detailing what's going on. And he tried to make it go away by coming to a resignation 
circumstance. And you know what a resignation is for in sports in this day and age. It means that there was a, an agreement that the coach needs to be fired, so he took it yeah. on his own terms. Um, and I thought Scott, as well as I mean, Kent Fuse, the the president of the school, we reached out to him for comments several times. Or Fox, it's not it's not Fuse. I always yeah. mess that up. That's probably unprofessional <laughs> of me. But that, I mean, the athletic, um, you know, the information department when when we went for re- interviews, it just wasn't handled well. So again, I will. I'll echo your point. This time they took it much more seriously. Um, Strickland apparently first was tipped off about this last year during the season. Um, there were meetings, there were calls to action that one of them, apparently Amato did not attend, which was supposed to be some sort of meeting with players to discuss what the problems are. Um, and Strickland, you know, he, I guess there was a meeting that he, they first had where he said he wanted to make sure these were taken care of. Ultimately he didn't see, much progress and decided at this point one year in he needed to pull the plug so you do see you know to give him credit a lot of growth there understanding mm-hmm. that you can't take these things lightly you need to you know this even though right now apparently i saw it was reported that this is a um this is not with cause so they right. will have to uh, you know take the l in in a way <laughs> when it comes to money but that's the right thing to do you know you have to pull the plug. You can't allow this to happen for financial reasons because ultimately you're putting money over the mental health of your players. So very smart, very good to see Strickland take this seriously. Um, I mean, one player is known to have developed an eating disorder and there were likely four or five more, according to this article by Peyton Titus. Uh, One player fell into a depressive spiral, you know, gained 10 pounds, started to drink heavily and admitted that they wanted to commit suicide. So it's, you heard similar things with the Newbauer situation. So to see it handled much more graciously, much faster, much more seriously is, is a very good sign. But even with Absolutely. that, you know, you, you do have to wonder how many chances is Strickland going to get with stuff like this? Are there right. more situations like this that we're unaware of? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, how many more second chance hires? Right. Well, I'm, I'm just not sure. I don't know. Yeah. I, I won't yeah. give him the praise for, for fixing this this time, but. Yeah, no, I mean, it, obviously you, you give him the, the credit for fixing it and making sure that he was on top of it, of course. Um, but what my concern is, and this has now happened in two different occasions with Neubauer and now with, with this guy, Amato, because you have coaches that in their past have had issues. Uh, in the same story, they interviewed, you know, or at least spoke with some anonymous Arizona players who, you know, he coached last year or a couple years ago. And also they had high transfer rates. You know, there it's, it, it was something where they had these sort of abusive actions taken towards them. Maybe not to the full extent that we know of uh, with the Florida Gators, but in, in some extent, at least, because this is something that has gone on for, for years now. And so you have to wonder how much vetting had been done with him. How much vetting had been done with Amato? How much vetting had been done with Neubauer? These are both situations that could have been avoided, in my opinion, if you had just spoken to the former players that transferred out for whatever reasons. You've spoken to people around him, around that program, and not just looked at maybe this guy looks like a person who's coming in and might make a difference in our soccer club or our basketball team or you know we're going to have more wins this year it's it's it just seems like this could have been avoided to me yeah that was a similar thing with Neubauer there were players from Belmont who came forward 
and it, you know, maybe it was after the fact um, when they did the interview sure. saying that they were treated similarly. But again, like, what is the vetting process? Right. It's 2022. We understand a lot more coaches are coming to light with issues, even from, you know, back in the past, it's starting to yeah. come to light. Now you need to be checking for these types of things. And, and I truly hope that the next soccer coach, as well as every coach that, um, that Strickland brings in, he's doing that vetting process and we don't hear more stories like this in the future. Absolutely. And, and to, to sort of go back to your other point about how many opportunities is Strickland going to have? I mean, to me, as sad as it sounds, if the basketball program and the football program under um, Golden and obviously Napier are running strong and they're doing well and they're bringing in the money, that's all that really is going to matter. Um, just because they fired a soccer coach, maybe he'll get another opportunity to hire another one if they have to fire the next one, depending on how those two programs are going. That's just the nature of college football or college sports in general. Those sports are going to be rated higher. I, I don't see a point where Strickland would be fired because the next soccer coach doesn't work out or maybe even the next women's basketball coach doesn't work out. As sad as that sounds, there's definitely a priority on different sports within a program because it's all based on money. That's just how the world works, basically. And, yeah. and so that, that's how college sports works. But, I mean, if 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 one or both of the college football and, 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 and college basketball programs are not working out this year or next year or, you know, in the coming years, then, yeah, at that point, it will be seen as a failure. And I think that at that point, Strickland will be gone. There is certainly no denying he's uh, he's done a good job with the money. I mean, the money that the school yeah. has directly brought in. Um, not that Strickland is involved with this, but we've seen the call to action for NIL purposes uh, with oh. the Gator Garden, the Gator Collective, which he's endorsed. So he's he's got that much going for him. And you're right, it is it is football and basketball based. But yeah, if that doesn't work out, you know, this is a stack of things. You've got those two, I don't want to call them lower level programs, but the, sure. the aspects of the athletic department that don't bring in as much money or attention. But you have those issues, you pair that with, Totally hypothetical. St. Apier doesn't work out. Two failed football head coaches. Mm. Whatever happens with Golden, although in fairness to Strickland, Mike White was here before Strickland. Although you could wait it that White was kept around a bit too long. He wasn't even right. let go at the end. Um, <laughs> but still, just that there, there would be a lot of things at that point that would stack up where you say maybe the money isn't everything here. So we'll see. It's 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 something that will obviously take some time to play out. And we're looking forward to seeing who Florida brings in as its next women's soccer coach. Uh, with that, we could shift over, I guess, to our transfer portal talk quite a bit of that mm -hmm. to do as well as previewing the NFL draft. Um, this show is coming out Thursday. We're talking here on Wednesday, the day before the draft. So I know that draft coverage is usually up to the very minute in seconds. So if this seems behind, if for some reason Kyrie Elam, there's a report that he's going top <laughs> 10, comes out tomorrow. Sorry that we're behind on that. Um, but let's start with the portal. Um, last night on Tuesday, or was it Monday? Tuesday. Um, Daryl Jackson, the Maryland transfer, uh, very intriguing rising sophomore defensive lineman who had 22 uh, tackles as a freshman. Uh, kind of a lower rate of recruit, but out of the state of Florida, he had pretty much the entire big three chasing him um, as a transfer portal prospect committed to Miami. He was originally, I believe Florida was his first visit. If not, it was his second. He came for the spring game, had a great time, bonded with Jervon Dexter, and they looked like they could be a formidable duo. That was one of Florida's, is one of Florida's biggest needs, is interior defensive line 
essentially a pass rushing tackle to play next to Dexter um, for when Desmond Watson has to come off the field. Cause I think we all know he's more of an early down guy at this point in his career, not really suited to be on the field at all times. No, uh, but he commits to Miami. He was supposed to take an official to Florida this upcoming weekend. I would imagine that is no longer the case. Um, he's off to Miami and Florida is stuck with a big need at interior defensive line without many options in the portal at this time. Demetrius, your initial takeaways. Yeah, I, um, I, I'll be honest. I just think that it was a, a whiff, um, to be completely straightforward with you. I don't think that they did enough, I guess, to, you know, keep him in there because you need a guy like Daryl Jackson to come in as a transfer. They don't have the depth. I mean, simply put, like Zach alluded to, you can't have Desmond Watson on the field for 45, 50, 60 plays. He's a guy who's going to get like maybe 20 to 25 plays. And a lot of that has to be on the goal line. A lot of that has to be on early downs. Um, Right now he's, you know, 415 pounds as graded by the roster. And quite frankly, he, he did do some good work during the spring game, but you could tell as the game went on and he was playing a significant number of snaps, he got a little tired. And that's that, that's going to happen with a guy who's as big and, and for what he's brought in to do to take up those gaps and to be able to just, you know, hold the point and, and, and not let a runner through. I mean, that's essentially his responsibility. So you need a guy next to a guy like Javon Dexter to play a significant number of snaps. And the guys that they do have are very um, inexperienced. I mean, Jalen Humphreys, Chris Thomas Jr., you know, all these guys are either Richard sophomore, Richard freshman. Um, even Jalen Lee is a sophomore. And, yeah, he played some last year, but it, it, it hasn't all come to fruition in terms of putting it all together and making sure that this is your good you know, first team guy or second team guy. There's a lot of guys that they have, but they don't have enough talent at that position. So to be able to get a guy like Jackson, it would have been great. Um, where did they go from here? I mean, there's not very much out in the portal. And I know, Zach, you did an article um, maybe a couple of weeks ago or a week ago even about the different players that they could bring in at that position. And like you said, all of them or most of them are, are gone now. So what do they do next? Um as they keep going through the portal, I'm just not sure. Yeah, I I think that we need to give it a little bit of time. I do agree. This is a whiff. Florida needed this guy. Probably should have gotten him based off of his initial very strong impressions off of this visit. Um, that being said, you also have to look at NIL. I'm not. We're not really afraid to talk about this part of recruiting anymore. <laughs> um, John Ruiz uh, welcomed Daryl Jackson to Miami because he's been doing a lot of their NIL stuff with life wallet and cigarette racing team. Um, They must've put together a pretty good package for him that Florida didn't necessarily want to match, which can be looked at two ways. Cause we don't know how much he was offered. Right. Um, maybe it was wise of Florida to not get into a huge, you know, battle um, to increase how much he's co- how much he would cost to come here. I mean, obviously Florida has the money now with Gator Guard, with Gator Collective to be doing this type yeah. of stuff, but it may have been wise for them to not overspend. Um, but then again, we, we don't really know. Maybe he wasn't too expensive and was a player that they should have tried to go for. I'm just we know yeah. based off of needs, they do need players for at def- at defensive line um, from the portal. And like you said, right now, there's just not that many options. The spring semester ends this week, at least at Florida. I would imagine most places it's this week. And the deadline to enter the portal to be eligible for the 2022 season is May 1st. That is Sunday. 
I would expect a lot more players to enter here over the next couple of days. We've seen an uptick in players entering over the past couple anyway, compared to when I wrote that story. Um, but still not much defensive line depth as a whole. Uh, certainly not many experienced players that have proven themselves produced. Um, and we're looking at this mainly um, by not looking at SEC players, because obviously they would need that waiver to be eligible immediately. And Florida needs this depth immediately. Um, there could be special cases. Maybe guys could get it um, if they're moving back to the state of Florida from somewhere else. That would certainly make sense. But as of now, there, there's just not a ton of options. I, I think the one that stands out the most to me is uh, is the Penn State defensive lineman Cole Brevard. He's a mm-hmm. rising redshirt sophomore, class of 2020 guy who was recruited to Penn State by new Gators defensive line coach Sean Spencer. He never played for him because Spencer quickly went to the NFL after that, but he did. He was his primary recruiter to Penn State. Obviously would have been playing this position. Hasn't really played like at all. I think he made appeared in mm-hmm. one game over the last two years. But he was named the coaching staff's developmental squad defensive player of the week this past year whatever that means, but I, I guess that <laughs> Penn state was seeing progress with him and they, yeah. I know that they're pretty backed up on defensive linemen. So maybe they just said, you know, you could play elsewhere. Why don't you go and try and find that spot? And from a connection standpoint, he's really the only one in the portal right now that has ties to Florida, that being through Spencer. So he, he very well may be someone to watch, although he's not the most appealing one. Unlike Jackson, Jackson had production as a freshman, um, right off the bat. We've not seen that from Brevard for two seasons. So that, that is a bit of a concern as well. Yeah, it, it is a concern, but but you're right. He's one of the probably standout guys when we're going through the list of guys who've already entered the portal. Uh, Cole Brevard obviously has the ties to Spencer. And while he might not have coached him, I mean, when you get recruited, I mean, these guys call you and text you and talk to you all the time. So no doubt he knows him inside and out. And there's also no doubt that he could just talk to some of his past coaching, you know, um, colleagues and, and things of that nature on, you know, what sort of happened with him, why he's transferring. They'll have their homework done. And I think Napier actually talked about this. They have guys who have, um, not only do they look at connections from coaches, but they also have a full staff on board just going through guys who could be entering the portal, doing their homework, making sure that these players are not just unknowns and all of a sudden you know, they, they, they get caught off guard by a player entering the portal or somebody who they might want to go after. You know, They'll, they'll have their, their homework done. And like Zach said, these players are probably going to be entering the portal over the next couple of days. The, the semester is about to end. They have to enter by May 1st. Otherwise, they're not even going to be eligible for the 2022 season. So, you know, they want to get snaps. They want to play. So they're going to have to do it very soon. Um, Obviously, in the SEC, there's a lot more defensive linemen. If if you look, there's guys, you know, coming out from Alabama, LSU, uh, things like that. But those players are not going to be eligible to play this year. And barring a a crazy waiver, which the NCAA is not very um, consistent on, so it can't be relied upon at all, in my opinion. Um, So you probably don't want to target any of the SEC guys, but you do want to target these guys coming out of the major Power 5 programs. And if there are lower schools, um, perhaps they'll be targeted as well, but probably less likely just due to the nature of the position. You want to bring in a guy who can make – an impact right away because if you bring in a person who hasn't had much of an impact at his level, hasn't really done anything at all. And this can be the case with Brevard. Um, you're not getting much different than what you already have. You already have guys who, you know, are question marks because they're of their inexperience. You have guys 
who have potential and they just haven't been able to show it yet. So if you bring in another guy, it'll be just for depth, which I think they, they do have to a degree. They just need somebody to be able to come in and shore it up. Just like last year, they went after Antonio Valentino. They went after Daquan Newkirk. They went after um, Truesdale. You know, the, those kind of guys that they brought in um, became impact players. Now, you know, you can question how good they were ultimately, but those are the type of players that you would want to see being brought in and I'm not sure how many are going to actually be there for them to take. Yeah. They at least came in and, and started right away. Yeah. Um, it wasn't always pretty, but Brevard, he he's a former four-star uh, top 20 defensive tackle. He played nose. So I, at least like I see the fit. It just, right. ba- it, what is his potential? What is his ceiling? Cause we have no clue. So yeah, like yeah. you said, Florida's got some guys like that. Maybe Napier and company would be looking for a different physical profile than yeah. who they have. Cause like, Jalen Lee could be a solid player, but he's like 6'2". Pretty stout, you know. Um, Chris Thomas was not very technically sound coming out of high school, but he's big. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, Chris McClellan looked like a guy that might be able to play, but he is a true freshman. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of unproven stuff. It would be not as beneficial to add further unproven guys. You want to get a proven veteran, someone that can produce, but ultimately options will not be great it's something to definitely keep an eye on um in the next couple of days nfl draft how about we talk about that demetrius i could let you do a bit more of that too because you're uh because you're a crossover guy you're our nfl (sighs) and college dude um first question i want to ask you and then we can introduce more about florida stuff are any jaguars are any gators going to go to jacksonville this year like the uh the yearly tradition of jacksonville taking a florida player and him ultimately at least one at least one, right? Uh, I don't think they actually took one last year, but you know, obviously, twenty twenty CJ Henderson top ten pick, which um, is great. Well, actually, if, if you think about it, they did sort of in a roundabout way take a former Gator. They took Jordan Smith, who used yeah. to play for the Gators, and then he transferred, obviously. So you know, they, maybe they they are still going after that pipeline under Trent Balky. No, but um, uh, Zach twenty nineteen Jawan Taylor, uh, twenty eighteen yeah. Taven Bryan, yep. 28. Yeah. Taven Bryan. Taven Bryan was interesting. You know, he's a guy who um, came in very, very much based on potential. And uh, he, he sadly for them did not turn out to be what they would have expected. But there's a guy, in my opinion, who probably will be better as a pro, as a player, as a pro. Um, there's perhaps him and Elam, perhaps not a two better players in terms of their professionalism with everything that I've spoken with them, it's it's actually kind of crazy that you think that these guys are only around 21, 22 years old, maybe 23 in Carter's case. I'm not sure. I think he's I think he's nearing that. But but just complete professionals, and I think that he's somebody that the Jaguars would definitely look at because of their multiple defense, and then they're they're a team that's going to be using guys who can play edge at defensive end, the five technique, and then move inside at play three technique and and that's exactly what Carter's game was and exactly what he showed um, during his time in Gainesville and you know they sent Brinson Buckner the Jaguars defensive line coach to Gainesville at their pro day um, and he had extensive time with him he was working through drills with them he was making sure that he could see um, what he was good at potentially and and just talked to him a ton And, and he's a players coach and I'm sure that they connected and did well and then also he was brought in on a official 30 visit you know that's that's something significant that's something to where the team is going to be able to get a little bit more insight into the type of person and the type of player that they are and move forward from there 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see, but for, for, for now, I think that he's probably slotted. What would you say, Zach, around the third or maybe early fourth range? I've seen anywhere from third to fifth. That was going to be something yeah. I introed in the next part of this. Okay, well, well, just to you know, tease it a little bit. I, I think that you know, at, at that pick in the third round, maybe pick seventy, it'll be a little bit too rich. But at the, um, I believe they have pick one oh nine, the start of the the fourth round. That I could see it being there. Um, but but he's he's one of the guys that I definitely see them being interested in. Damian Pierce might be another one later rounds. Depends on on where it goes. They're not super high on the running back class, um, high, but you know, definitely in the fourth fifth round they'll definitely be targeting somebody like him yeah i um what i wanted to intro was two things really one mm-hmm. i have a um my final mock draft which came out the other day mm-hmm. as well as bleacher report also put out their final top 300 big board for the draft looking at um you know where each player ranks i was pleasantly surprised kyrie Elam is their number 14 player on their 10-point scale, he's an 8.5 immediate impact first-round player. And we've seen him slotted mostly in the late first round as of as of late. Last year, it was early first round in the initial mock drafts that came out. He had his injuries throughout the year. It wasn't his best season, um, and he fell into the second. But now it's been consistently mid or late first and now even potentially mid just based on this um, on this big board. They then have Damian Pierce at 143, Zach Carter at 168, and Jeremiah Moon at 284 of their top 300. Elam was the number three corner, again, like one of the highest I've seen for him recently, um, with Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley ahead of him. Pierce was the number 10 back, Carter the number 15 defensive lineman, Moon the number 30 edge rusher, even though I believe he'll be an off-ball linebacker at the next level. Just didn't really ever show it much as an edge rusher at Florida. He's got freaky intangibles to play linebacker, and he, he played his best ball there. Um, they deemed Elam the best in zone coverage. Pierce, the biggest sleeper at running back uh, in their positional rankings. I um, with my mock draft, it was it was pretty similar. I had Elam in the first round. A little bit later, I have him to Kansas City with one of their back to back picks at the end mm-hmm. of the round. Uh, Carter, third round, one hundredth overall to Baltimore, so right in that Jaguars range with the start of the fourth. I believe that's a comp pick. Damian Pierce started the fourth at 107 uh, with the Houston Texans. And instead of Jeremiah Moon sneaking into the draft, I actually have uh, Gene DeLance, the offensive Mm. tackle. I put him in the sixth round uh, to the Los Angeles Rams. It's, um, I think we can all guarantee that Elam Pierce and Carter will be drafted. Uh, I'm curious if Carter goes higher than Pierce or vice versa, like Bleacher and I disagree there, (laughs) but um with Moon, like, I get the fascination with his athleticism. and I mean, 85th percentile or better in every physical category, uh, as well as in the broad and vertical jumps. So he's like, he is what people are looking for with the modern linebacker, even as a developmental guy. He just had so many injuries. Like, he missed yeah. the senior bowl. He pulled out of the pro day with uh, hurting his hamstring in the 40-yard dash. Four season-ending injuries at Florida. You know, some of them were, the, like, the final two games. Some of them were half a season so varying degrees whereas delance we've documented this for a couple years that he wasn't very good in pass protection um but he had his best year in 2021 when the team went uh with a heavy run game he run blocked probably the best of any player on the team he's he's he meets the athletic profile of an nfl offensive tackle 
maybe slightly, ever so slightly undersized at um, just over 6'4", 296 pounds. But he's got 96th or 7th percentile arm length, um, mm-hmm. 36 and a quarter inch. Like evaluators drool over that type of uh, of that arm length. Uh, he was also a pretty solid to above average athlete in the 20-yard shuttle, vertical jump, and 40-yard uh, dash when he ran it at the pro day. So, you know, teams are, teams look for that type of offensive lineman, at least to develop as a depth player. Even with his struggles in pass protection, I bet a team will look at his athleticism and say, we can develop that. We know he's a decent run blocker. He's got incredible length to develop as a pass protector. Right. I personally think he could jump into the later part of the draft over Moon. But one way or another, they've got three surefire picks and one, two, maybe even three potential late round surprises that could come in. Yeah, I mean... You, you you pretty much nailed it on all those guys. And and in my opinion, Kyrie Elam is probably one of the most underrated players in this draft. I mean, you have a guy who comes in at Florida and and doesn't start right away, but by the season end of his freshman year, you knew that he was going to be the guy moving forward after, you know, um, CJ Henderson was gone. You knew that he was going to be their starter and, and look what he did over the past two years. Now, um, the injury issue is probably what most teams might be hung up on. Um, it wasn't like he was perpetually injured or anything, but he did have some issues last year in terms of injury, and that's something that they'll probably keep an eye on. But other than that, the athleticism, the, all the measurables all fit well. I think he ran a 4-3-7. I mean, the guy's fast. He's he's good. He's strong. He plays fantastic in press man, probably the best press man corner in this draft. Um, if you consider, you know, the other attributes these guys have. In my opinion, he's the third best, if not the second best um, cornerback in this draft. I have Stingley as the number one guy. Um, just what he did in his freshman year, I can just rest on that, honestly. Uh, I'll, I'll take it to the bank and, and say that this guy's going to be fantastic. Sauce Gardner obviously was fantastic as well. Last yeah, wait, sorry. Especially. Sorry to cut you off, but you can say the same thing about Stingley with Elam too, even though this year yeah. was a bit of a fall off. Oh, absolutely. You know, in, in 2020, uh, Elam looked fantastic. I mean, it's the same thing, same situation in terms of maybe they didn't play as well in, in their final season or their final couple of seasons, but just look at the tape. Look at what they did before. It's not like that player just vanished. Um, it's not like they didn't show any traits to show that they're, they're still good players. They just might not have lived up to maybe what they showed previously or, or at, at a consistent basis. Either way, I think that the, that's probably the top, you know, couple corners in the draft. Like I said, Sauce Gardner, you know, what he did against Alabama was fantastic as well. Um, but yeah, moving down the board in terms of Gene DeLance potentially becoming a guy who gets drafted ahead of maybe even a Jeremiah Moon, which I agree is, you know, his injury history precedes him and, and he, you know, is older. It, it's really tough. And it, even though he's incredibly athletic, um, though you can't get past the injury, you know, the best, you know, ability is availability, whatever, as, as cliche as that sounds, it's true. And a lot of NFL teams look at that, but Gene Delance, he actually recently went on a 30 visit to the green Bay Packers. Um, so, you know, that's a team that has, you know, tapped into the Florida Gators pipeline. TJ Slayton was drafted by them. I think it was what two years ago now, uh, last year or, or last year, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. and he played a significant number of snaps as a fourth rounder. I think he was fourth round. Um, fifth fifth whatever i'm getting everything wrong. sorry guys <laughs> come back next week now <laughs> oh, um, i'm surprised but, but, i remember that off the top of my head that just tells it, you that i'm like you're better off sick. than me that i remember all this stuff 
it's all right but yeah it, 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 but yeah no gene gene delance is a guy who you know no matter what you feel about him as a player um at while he was at florida he always looked physically as you know a tackle or maybe he could even slide into guard you know because given the the, the size it would make sense for a team to maybe want to at least tease him at that position um he has the measurables he 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 has some athleticism to him and i think that um when it comes to the draft, you have to remember that a lot of this is based on projection. They're not just picking players that they know are going to be good right away. They're picking players that, Hey, this guy might be something later on. Why might as well use him or pick, pick a player and have him on your team rather than wait and see if they can maybe sign him in free agency. Um, so yeah, the, the, those kind of guys, obviously Damian Pierce is fantastic. Um, in my opinion, um, he wasn't utilized obviously at Florida last year, um, but great, great player, great person. Um, I could see him going in the fourth, third round, maybe um, somewhere around that range. Maybe and, a team um, will surprise us. I mean, remember Van Jefferson two years ago was no one expected him to go second round, and yeah. he didn't have the best production at Florida, even though he was utilized. But it was a you know a four spread. They had three and four receivers on the field quite a bit. Um, yeah. Maybe da- I think Damian Pierce is a starting caliber NFL running back. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> the, people the, the, the like guy, him. I don't know if enough people are like pounding the table on like this sure. dude could be the most productive running back in this class. So maybe he goes earlier or maybe some team gets a steal. We've seen it before. I mean, you know, a thing or two about running backs that ended up being steals. Yeah. I mean, James Robinson is a guy with the Jaguars who he didn't get drafted, but, but look at him all of a sudden he comes in and he's a fantastic player. I mean, th- these guys, you know, all of a sudden you, you you realize that perhaps what how they were used in college or you know the production or the level of play whatever might not matter i mean just look at what damian pierce has been able to do even in those 100 snaps he averaged 5.7 yards per carry i mean that's still incredible i think he had 11 rushing touchdowns by by the time the season ended uh i think he's plenty productive to take I think that I would take him personally in in the fourth round range, um, third round range maybe. Um, like Zach said, he could surprise. I, I don't see him going in the second round personally, but yeah, I mean, he, he could surprise and go higher than anyone expected because teams value those guys who, you know, they 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 have a lot of tread in terms of being able to um, stay healthy because they haven't had to carry the ball a thousand times in college. I think that there's something to that, and Damien's certainly one of those. Yeah, I um, I'm very interested to see where he goes. I think that he mm-hmm. could possibly be the best Gators rookie if he's in a situation where, say, he goes to um, like Atlanta. Even though they've got Patterson, mm-hmm. I mean, Patterson does so many different things in that offense that Damian Pierce right. could end up getting like 200 carries. Like, yeah. I feel like that's that that's reasonable. He'd be better than Mike Davis anyway. Um. <laughs> And I think that just about does it for us. I'm excited to sit back and watch the draft this weekend. I don't know about you. You're going to be oh, covering 12 picks. I, I, I have it's, – it's hectic covering Florida in the draft because usually they have a good amount of players. But three to four this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have yeah. it easy. Yeah, you're going to be able to chill and, and sit back with the boys and, and, and have fun during the draft. Yeah, I'll be in the, I'll be in the stadium um, for better or worse while the Jaguars make their 12 picks. I'm praying that they just, you know, trade all of those six round picks. They have four in the six round, trade all those six round picks and just get out of there, man. Just trade up. Who cares? You know, get out of there with six picks and have fun. 
Um, but you know, that's probably not going to, they'll probably end up making around nine to 10, um, depending on what they do. Um, yeah. Just hope that they don't use all 12. Yeah, that would be awful. I would, I would hate covering that. Thank God. I don't yeah. cover the draft like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well anyway, that'll, um, that will just about do it for us here at believe in Florida Gators. Again, this podcast was brought to you by our partners over at bed online. If you're going to sign up again, make sure to use our promo code. Uh, it's believe B L E A V and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, free money, go bid on the NFL draft, uh, NBA playoffs, the MLB, really anything you want to bet on. I'm sure they've got it over there in the sports department. Uh, as for us, Again, I'm Zach Goodall. Thank you for listening to Believe in Florida Gators. If you want to find more of my work, you can find it at allgators.com, as well as over on my Twitter feed at Zach underscore Goodall. Demetrius, you can find on Twitter at Demetrius82. Again, all of his work is with me over at allgators.com. If you're a Jaguars fan, check out Big Cat Country as well. I'm sure you'll be tuned into the draft, as you always are as a Jaguars fan. Um, leave a rating, leave a review, let us know what you think of this show. Uh, five stars only, but you can tell us how bad we are in the comments section at the very least. Thank you to everyone that's gone and done that so far. We've been getting some pretty great feedback. Uh, we're looking forward to bringing you a lot more Gators content. So subscribe, leave those ratings and reviews, and continue to, to follow along here at Believe in Florida Gators. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.